We'll take our text this morning from the book of James. We'll be looking at four verses from the fourth chapter of James. Begin at verse 6 and read down to verse 8. And then we will jump down to verse 10. James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And then verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You know, in the world today, you will find all kinds of books on how to be a success. Corporations hire motivational speakers to come and give seminars about how to succeed in business, and they'll offer all kinds of uh, formulas and all kinds of ideas about how to do that. We've probably heard of some of these books. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a popular one out there today. Many probably have heard of the Carnegie courses, how to win friends and influence people. One was popularized several years ago, entitled The Greatest Salesman in the World. These are all books, man's ideas about how to curry favor with their fellow man, how to be a success. I think the motive behind these books is really how to get people to do what you want them to do. Of course, you can't entitle it that way because that would seem a little manipulative. But I think really the basis for a lot of these books is how can I succeed in life? How can I make life better for myself? How can I uh, be in favor with my fellow man? But, you know, there's really no other book in all the world like the Word of God. God's Word is written by God, not by man. We know holy men of God penned the words as the Holy Spirit gave them inspiration, but they were writing down what God said. The words contained in this book are not man's ideas. These are God's ideas and God's instructions. And God in his word gives us formulas and instructions on how to be under God's divine favor. That's what we're interested in. You know, really, we're only, we can only live under one of two positions. We can either be under God's divine wrath. None of us want that. Or we can be under God's divine favor. Well, the Lord, the word of the Lord tells us how we can do that. Those verses I read right in my margin, it says steps to divine favor. And it lists four things that we can do. Humble ourselves before God, submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and draw nigh or draw near to God. You know, the order expressed here is not accidental. Many things we do when you're following a set of instructions, you have to do step one before you can move on to step two. In the simple things, in the major things, if you're going to build a house, you don't begin by framing the walls. You have to pour the foundation. 
You don't set the roof until those walls are constructed and framed. Even in the simple things, if you're cooking or following a recipe, there's a certain set of instructions given in a particular order that are to be followed. Even making coffee requires following things in a particular order. You want to make sure that you put the filter in before you put the grounds in. Get that order reversed, it's going to be a mess. So we can see there is an order to everything. Well, God gives us these instructions in a particular order to be followed in that order. The very first thing he says we need to do is to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. The Bible tells us why. It says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Jesus himself said, the one that humbles himself and becomes as a child shall be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs 22, 4 says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. We're given a beautiful promise in Psalm 138, verse 6. It says, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly or to the humble, but the proud he knoweth afar off. As I considered that verse, I noticed that word respect. That word respect means it's an act of giving particular attention or consideration to, a higher special regard to feel admiration for. It's amazing when you think what God is promising here, if we will humble ourselves, God will have respect. Unto us, the high and holy, the lofty one, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, will have respect unto the lowly, a special or particular attention or admiration for. Humility gets God's attention. Psalms also tells us the Lord hears the desire of the humble and he won't forget the cry of the humble. You know, it's number one on the list because... Really, until we, do, if, in, until we do this thing, we can't follow any of the other steps. We won't get anywhere with the Lord. But it's probably the most difficult thing to do. You can't move on to step number two. You can't submit to the Lord till you first humble yourself before the Lord. Of course, we know why it's so difficult. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride is a part of that inherited carnal nature. Pride is what we come by naturally. We all are born with pride in our hearts. You know, I don't think anyone is born with a humility gene inside of them. What we are born with pride is part of that Adamic nature. Pride is that thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. The sin of pride was what caused the fall of man there in the garden. So... We are born in sin, shaped in iniquity, so we know we, by nature we come by pride naturally. So to humble ourselves is contrary really to our human nature. Pride's not something we have to work at or try to develop. I don't think we wake up in the morning saying, Lord, give me more pride. I don't have nearly enough. We don't do that. We fight against it. You know, pride causes man to try to override God's authority. Pride is that thing that will cause man to try to live independent of God. So obviously we see the very first thing we need to do is humble ourselves 
In the sight of the Lord, we get rid of pride by humbling ourselves. The first thing we have to do is admit that we have it. It's been said, none have more pride than the one who thinks they don't have any. So we have to realize we have pride and we need God's help. We realize that on our own, we can't do anything about it. A person can act humble, but until their nature has changed, they can still have pride in their hearts. You know, the first step in getting help is admit we need help. You ever try to help somebody who didn't want your help? It can be very frustrating. And sometimes we have to sit back and it's sad to watch a person self-destruct, yet they're too proud to admit they need help. Well, we must ask the Lord for help. We go to the source, the one that can, the only one that can truly help us. The Word of God says, for the sinner, the first thing the sinner needs to do is confess his sins. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But until a sinner admits, I'm a sinner and I need God's grace and he's willing to confess and submit and surrender and yield his life to the Lord. He has to humble himself to do that. Humbling ourselves is recognizing the fact we don't control anything, nothing. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is perfect. God's ways are perfect. Even when we don't agree with him, we have to acknowledge the fact God is perfect. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Lord. It's not something we produce on our own through our own ingenuity or anything like that. Every good, every perfect gift is from the Lord. We humble ourselves by esteeming others better than ourselves. You know, we once we've humbled ourselves, then we can move on to step two. It says to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You'll never be able to submit yourself to the Lord, obviously, until you first humble yourself to God. You know, when people hear the word submit, often they might have a negative impression in their mind. They think of surrendering or giving up or yielding our rights to the control of someone else. That often evokes a negative response. You won't find any sermons in the or any any seminars in the business world about how to submit, how to yield your rights. That's an unpopular concept in the world, and yet it's an integral part of drawing close to the Lord. It's something we must do if we want God's favor. I found a really good definition of what it means to submit to God. It says to arrange oneself under the command and the authority of God rather than to live according to one's old way of life and viewpoint. It says we can arrange oneself. That means that by choice, we can choose to place ourselves in a position where God can bless us. This is not a forced submission. This is something we do by choice, but when we get ourselves in that place, the potential is, it's an amazing, God could really then begin to use us and bless us, but we must come to that place where we yield control, we submit to the Lord. It's an exchange of wills. We don't say, not my will, but it's thy will be done. 
Submitting to God is desiring God's will more than our own. That's difficult. Again, that's hard, even when it doesn't make any sense to us. Even when it may mean personal loss at times, we must submit to the will of the Lord. You know, submitting to God also means submitting to one another. That's part of it. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You know, we don't submit to somebody else based on their merits or because they deserve it. We do it because the Lord says to do it. We do it in the fear of the Lord. We do it as unto Christ. You know, I thought about this. How can we tell when our wills are submitted? What does this look like in everyday life? What does this look like in our relationships sometimes with others? Well, you know, submitting could mean holding our tongue when we want to speak. Submitting could be being the one to ask forgiveness first, even when we think that other person should be the one to apologize. Being submitted means letting something go, even when you know that individual may have done something intentionally to hurt you. That's hard, but submitting is giving up our right to be offended and to be hurt. That's part of submitting to the Lord. It means esteeming others better than ourselves. You know, in the gospel, yes, the Lord establishes an authority structure, and he does that by design, and uh, that's the way the Lord has set it up. And we have certain spiritual authorities that are uh, that are over us, and we submit to them, but You know, even those in a spiritual authority are called to serve the ones that they are placed over. So we see this concept of submitting to one another. We do it as unto the Lord. In the gospel, there's no big and littles. We're all the same in Christ. Different responsibilities, different uh, positions that we may feel, but as the body of Christ, we're all one in the body of Christ. So at times we must submit to one another. That's part of submitting but you know once we get step one and step two down we can move on to step three resist the devil the promise is he will flee from you when you do resist means to withstand or oppose to counteract or defeat that's certainly what we want to do when it comes to dealing with the devil But the only way we can resist the devil is to first submit to God, to yield to the Lord. And once we do that, it's been said, once you learn the fear of the Lord, you don't have to fear anything else or anyone else. But we must first humble ourselves, submit ourselves to the Lord. Then we can resist the devil. You know, Christ was our perfect example of of all of these things, really. Think about Christ's humility in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus was equal with God, and Jesus knew that. Jesus never questioned his divinity. He knew he was the Son of God, yet it said he made himself of no reputation. But he took on the form of a servant, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death on the cross. Jesus didn't come to earth to lord his lordship over us. He said he humbled himself. 
became a man. It says because he humbled himself, he obeyed. There's a connection there. You can't separate obedience from humility. We can't humble ourselves until we're willing to obey. And we can't obey until we're willing to humble ourselves. But the Lord did both as an example to us. Christ submitted himself to the will of his Father. Jesus, time and time again, when the scribes and Pharisees would come and they'd question him and say, by what authority do you do these things? He would say, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of my Father that sent me. Jesus submitted to God knowing what he would have to suffer and endure as a result. Jesus was fully aware of what God was asking him to do and requiring of him to do. Did Jesus want to do it? No. In his flesh, he didn't. We know as he prayed in the garden, he said, Lord, God, if there's any way for this to pass from me, let it pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he knew that if he didn't submit, mankind couldn't be saved. He saw the bigger picture and he was willing to submit to the Father at great personal sacrifice and cost. He submitted even when it didn't make sense to anybody else. His disciples certainly didn't understand it. They couldn't imagine as they watched who they thought was their Lord and Savior being hung on a cross and crucified. That's not what they had in mind at all. They didn't understand it at the time. They did understand it later. We know even Jesus, when he was explaining what was going to happen before he was crucified, it says, Peter, one of his disciples, rebuked him. He said, Lord, be it far from thee. This shall not be unto thee. Jesus rebuked Peter, said, Get thee behind thee, Satan. He says, You desire the things of the flesh, but he said, This must be so we can see Christ was willing to submit his will at great personal sacrifice, even when others didn't understand it. We see a perfect example in Christ of what it means to humble himself and to submit himself. And you know, the Lord was a great example of how to resist temptation. We also read in Matthew chapter 4, we read the account. This was when Jesus was led up into the wilderness. This is right before he began his public ministry. And he said he was led into the wilderness. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, it says the tempter came to him. You notice when the tempter came? When Jesus was at his most vulnerable. There's a lesson there. That's often when the tempter will come to us. But after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the first thing the devil said was, well, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. But what did Jesus use against Satan? He used the word of God. He used the word of God against the devil. He said, it is written. What was he referring to? He was referring to the word of God. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Sometime later, it says that the devil led him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he told Jesus again, if you're the son of man or the son of God, cast yourself down and the angels will bear you up. Well, again, what did Jesus do? It is written, pointing back to the word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Satan didn't give up a little time later. It says it took him up onto a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Again, Jesus said, it is written. 
It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It says, then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. We see what it means to resist the devil. You know what? The Lord, he didn't get in a big dialogue with Satan. He didn't discuss things. He pointed him to the word of God. He used the word of God as his weapon. Do you realize we have the most powerful weapon right at our fingertips? Each one of us has access to the Word of God. The Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If it was powerful enough for Christ to use it against the enemy, certainly we want to utilize that same resource. But you know, we have to first humble ourselves and submit, obey the Word of the Lord before we can use it to our advantage. But we can follow the Lord's example. He was a perfect example You might think, well, of course, Jesus was a perfect example. He was a perfect man. He was the Son of God. Of course, these things would work for Jesus. But you know, the principles in God's Word, the formulas in God's Word, Word work for every single person if they're applied. It's not just for Jesus. Obviously, he said it, he did it as an example to us, but we can take those principles and apply them to our lives and we can see God work. I thought again of our exam- or our scripture reading. The man Naaman it t- and tells us in Second Kings, it says that he was a great man and he was honorable. He was a mighty man of valor, but we know as you read that account, Naaman was a proud man. And Naaman had a very serious problem. It says Naaman was a leper. That was a physical condition. But leprosy is often compared to sin, which is a spiritual condition. And you know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. There was no cure for leprosy. No human cure. Leprosy always carried the death penalty with it. If you were afflicted with leprosy, chances are you would die from leprosy. Leprosy separated a person from society. It made him feel helpless and hopeless. And this is the condition Naaman, this great man Naaman, found himself in. You know, it's a lot like sin. Sin does the same thing. But we know on the advice of a little maid in Naaman's home, she was actually a prisoner of war. She had been taken captive. But he went down to see the prophet Elisha about being recovered of this leprosy. Of course, When he got there, it says he pulled up into the front of the prophet's house and that prophet sent out a servant to instruct him. At that point, it says Naaman was wroth. He was furious. The prophet would send out his servant. Doesn't he know who I am? Well, he'd already been there on the vice of a little maid, but apparently this was too much for his pride almost. And he was furious at the instructions the Lord had given him. And this is ridiculous. Can I dip in one of the rivers in, in, in wherever he was from? It slips in my mind right now. But he didn't want to dip in the Jordan River. We know that. And he almost turned around and went away in a rage. But who should come and reason with them? Another servant. said his servants came and they said, Father, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Why not just do this very simple thing? Go dip seven times in that Jordan River. You know, Naaman had to humble himself. He had to be willing to listen to those servants that God had placed in his life. It's a lesson for us. Sometimes God places servants in our lives, and 
We need to be willing at times to listen to their advice. You know, he had to submit himself to the will of the Lord. Originally, Naaman had his own ideas about how this was going to work. He thought surely the man of God would come out, he'd wave his hand over the area, and he'd recover the leper, and Naaman would go on his way, and everything would be good. It doesn't work that way. And he says, behold, I thought. That was a problem. Naaman thought. Naaman, in his pride, thought he could dictate and manipulate God into doing what he thought he should do. But it doesn't work that way. So he had to humble himself. He had to submit to the will of the Lord. And we know finally, finally he was willing to give up his own ideas, give up his own way of doing things. And we read in verse 14, it says, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. He humbled himself. He submitted to the instructions of the Lord, even if they didn't make any sense. You know, Naaman had to humble himself to get down on that Jordan River. This is that he showed up on his chariot and on his horses. Well, you know, he had to get down off his high horse to get down on that river. He had to lower himself. He probably had to strip off all that fancy armor, the thing he was using to hide that leprosy from everybody else. But that day, there he was on full display for all to see. You know, it's kind of like people, they have to get honest with God. We have to stop hiding behind the hypocrisy or whatever it is we're trying to cover up things in our life. We have to get open and honest with the Lord. That's part of humbling ourselves, submitting to the Lord. But Naaman did that. He had to resist the devil. He had to resist the temptation to get on his chariot and head back home, do things his own way. And you know what? He was told to dip seven times. He had to resist the temptation and not give up too early. The Lord told him to dip seven times for a reason. Maybe it was because of the amount of pride in his heart. We don't know. But I can guarantee each time he went down in that water, that old devil was probably there to say, Give up. It's not working. It's not working. You're making a fool of yourself. Stop trying. How many times has the devil said that to people? As they go to seek the Lord, you've been here before. But he kept after it. He just kept going down into that water. He continued to humble himself. And we know, finally, on that seventh time, it says when he came up, it says his flesh was made whole. He had gotten the answer. He had gotten through. He had broken through to the Lord that day because he followed the formula. He humbled himself. He submitted to the Lord. He resisted. And the Lord drew near to him and gave him the victory. You know, he left a changed man that day. Not just physically, but spiritually. The greatest change in Naaman's life wasn't what was on the outside. It's what happened in his heart. He knew. He got in contact with the God of Israel. It says there, and he returned to the man of God and all his company. And he came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And he said, he requested that he could take two mules' burdens of earth back with him. He needed, he wanted two bags of dirt to take back with him so that every time he knelt to pray in his land, he would remember the God of Israel. He said he vowed to never make an offer or sacrifice to any other God but to the Lord. Naaman got the answer he was looking for because he was willing to follow the Lord's instructions. He was victorious. 
He found favor with God because he humbled himself. He submitted and he resisted the devil. Luke 4.27 says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. They could have been cleansed, but Naaman obeyed the word of the Lord. Naaman followed the principles laid out in God's word. You know, if you're here this morning and you need something from the Lord, God can help you today. He can. There may be those that leave without getting what they need. You don't have to. You can be like Naaman this morning. Whatever the need is, if you need to be saved, admit it. Chances are everybody else already knows it. But it's good if you can admit that. Humble yourself. Submit to the Lord. If you're seeking an experience from the Lord, those consecrations, don't pull back on those consecrations. Submit them to the Lord. Give them to the Lord. God will do something wonderful. Resist the devil. Come down to these altars. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you've been down here before. This may be the day you lay hold on victory. If you're willing to follow God's formula, the Lord will bless you. We're going to have a chance to pray. Let's sing 552. These altars are open.